there, and welcome to episode 22 of the Better With Running podcast. I'm Matt Davey, run to vd co-founder and absolute running-based nerd. And here alongside me, as always, is my co-host, Zach Newman. Welcome back, mate. Hey, Matty. Good to be back. And uh, yes, you are a, a running nerd, I <laughs> can confess. And yeah, I'm probably, uh, I'm probably in the same boat. I can't really uh, I give you too much crap about that. Hey, mate, um, being a running nerd, did you catch the uh, Monaco... 5k last weekend or last week yeah i haven't had a chance to watch it but obviously um come across come across the results oh i've seen sort of some of the highlights haven't watched the whole race but um yeah such such an impressive performance and such even even um split laps um so yeah the other uh post i think it might have been on instagram about each of the laps man just um rhythmic really and yeah just so impressive um yeah did you did you manage to catch it yeah, I did. I got up for it. Um, a few coffees to, to get through it. And um, yeah, it was it was exciting. And obviously in the, the women's, we had uh, the Australian Jessica Hull who uh, broke the national record, which had stood for quite a number of years. So that was a, a huge performance and uh, yeah, exciting times for Australian running. You got um, got a few meets going around in um, overseas, you know, the Diamond League's kicking off and you know, you've got... Um, and Matt Ramston, I don't know if you caught that. He uh, mm. had a cracker of a 2K. And, yeah, so it's, it's kind of exciting to see athletics back on TV, at least, um, from my side. Yeah, it isn't. Like, I was, um, yeah, talking about the, the world record, um, the, I saw it, yeah, even pop up on, on uh, mainstream news. I think it might have been on Channel yeah. 7. Oh, yeah. wow. It's the first time um, athletics has probably popped up on news since the Olympics. Uh, right. since 2016 or something oh obviously the com games actually yeah but yeah it's just it was um yeah it was good to see it was disappointing though that they didn't actually put up um jessica hole's um run they just stuck to the world record um yeah hopefully we'll um yeah we'll see some, some more things from from um from her that's for sure in, in the coming um coming month or so yeah i think she's got a 1500 coming up so uh yeah that um could be another record on the cards <laughs> you could think um hey uh, did you did you see the footage at the end of uh, Chapter Guy when he crossed the line and stopped the watch? And uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, so obviously, I um, yeah, wanted to make sure he got it on Strava and uh, uploaded it for a few, few kudos. Take a couple of crowns, you'd think, Matty? Oh, you'd hope so. You'd, uh, <laughs> you'd hope so. Um, well, I don't know whether they, um, yeah, whether they've got a, a lap, a, a one-off lap segment. They might not, uh, you might not have, might not have got that one. But um, yeah, no, it's such a, um, such an impressive performance. And yeah, chucking up on Strava, I'll have to, I might have to log in and um, give him some yeah. kudos. <laughs> I'd hate to see what is on his race predictor or um, what's showing on the those VO2 max uh, predictors that they have on the Garmin watch. Yeah, oh, I'd be off the charts. <laughs> He'd break yeah, his watch. <laughs> Talking about breaking watches, mate. You've um, you've been cranking out a few of the sixty-minute uh, sessions that we've been posting, and I had a, I did give you some kudos on Strava when you you pumped out Chris Armstrong's session. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, and I, I balls it up, but um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I woke up. Um, or I decided that the night before. I was like, yeah, I reckon I'll um, is a is a bit of a flat a flattish section, um, uh, like a bit of a plateau on top of the. The, um, the hill that I live on, and so I thought, oh, Chris's um, session it, it fit really well up there. Um, so yeah, it was a 12 minutes at 10k pace, um, three minutes um, recovery into five by one minute on off, 
um, yeah, I, I, for some reason I had it in my head. Um, I think I just hadn't had enough coffee or something. You know, I, I did 15 minutes at, um, 15 minutes to start with, but um, yeah, that was fine. I, I kind of, uh, I didn't hit, I didn't feel like I hit probably hit more half marathonish pace, I think, because I was roll, over some rolling hills. Um, I was struggling to hit, sort of get much faster, but then able to, yeah, kick it down um, over those five by one minute on off. Um, yeah, I, I quite enjoy those sessions where you do get a bit of a change of pace um, in the session. And, and yeah, I'd enjoy it um, going over some rolling hills as well. So yeah, it was a fun, it was a fun workout. Um, yeah. From Chris and yeah, managed to knock it off in the 60 minutes perfectly. So yeah, I was happy with that one. Um, and then, yeah, again, um, got out this morning um, for a session that um, I, I like enjoy doing, getting some hill work in. And then a bit of a tempo on some more hills. But, yeah, on the first set of hills, um, I think it was on my – I had four, four um, one-minute hills. And on the first set, the, um, the damn um, garbage truck drives past. And I was just – like I was working hard and sucking yeah. in the big air. And then, yeah, the garbage truck pulls past and just there's nothing worse than that timing. Um, <laughs> Especially when we're on a, when a tight schedule as well as it is. Yeah, that's right. There was no waiting. Like I just had to go, and yeah, um, yeah. It, and it and it's that moment where you like, you, you sort of you catch him, and then he moves up a bit further, and then he stops again and, and picks up the next bin, and you catch him, and then you know you're playing tag like that, and it just stunk. Um, yeah, yeah really vomited at the end of that hill rep. Uh, but yeah, it was a good workout, and I was happy to get that one done and, and knocked that one over again in sixty minutes. So, nice. yeah. Enjoy like a, enjoying getting the most out of the out of the sixty minute um, workouts, but I am am looking forward to um, being able to uh, get out for a bit longer, especially on those longer runs. Yeah, we're at the halfway point, really, aren't we? In um, in Melbourne, uh, where we're both where we're both based, and it's uh, yeah, what stage four restrictions, and um, yeah, we're at three weeks, so we're kind of at the turnaround point in the in the race towards getting hopefully a little bit. Uh, less confined to that 60 minute rule but we'll just have to just watch this space I guess as to how that all unfolds yeah that's right and, um, how, have, um, how have you been finding the, the 60 minute workouts I saw you had a bit of a crack at Mads's, uh, Mads's workout that she said yeah I've actually been enjoying them as well like it's, it's different sessions I know um, we spoke about last week is, yeah, just making sure I get myself warmed up and condense all that down or just a touch um, and work into it easier at the start. And yeah, Mads, Madeline Heiner's um, workout. Yeah. We, it, it was uh, yeah something I haven't done before where you do a five minute into a five minute effort into a 30 second off into a um, 30 second hard. Yeah. And then a three minute recovery. So it's, um it's a challenging one and yeah, I did the, did it by three and yeah, loved it. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, um, I think just doing some workouts that are slightly different in these times, um, obviously still in line with with a training program. I know with with a lot of my athletes, yeah, we're we're implementing these workouts and they're enjoying the variety. And yeah, and then it's you know I know uh, it's not the greatest time to not have events right you know penciled in on the calendar, but having these workouts in the, and I, I know with some athletes time trials as well it gives us something to to kind of break up the weeks and, and plan for 
Yeah, yeah. That's right. And like I've found that um, planning, using them um, and planning around them, a lot of the a lot of the sessions you can you can adapt um, a little bit to to suit um, where, whereabouts an athlete is in in terms of their program. Um, so yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed. Um, yeah, in seeing my my athletes have a go and um, yeah, and then obviously some some races opening up um more up in outside of victoria in in new south wales mostly um but yeah seeing that um seeing the progress on has been been exciting and you even got a few of your athletes to to enjoy the workouts too yeah and I, and also off the back of um i know we had lauren on the other week um who, who had a great little block where we had a few time trials and she's inspired a few of my athletes definitely in um you know after listening to that episode um we yeah, they were in contact and said, Hey, let's 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 go ahead with this time trial. Let's let's lock something in. And I know I've got Shannon who's a who's a, I know an avid listener of the, the show and she's gonna be no pressure on her, but uh, she's gonna roll a hot lap of the tan at the end of uh, she lives awesome. right in uh, South Yarra, which is, you know, in the in the zone to roll around the tan and at the end of lockdown we said let's um let's finish it off with a hot lap of the tan. So that'll be that's something to aim for and it's sort of keeping, I guess, motivation at this time can be a bit challenging. So having that carrot there or that incentive, knowing that, you know, you've got something penciled in. Uh, I've got Anna um, who, who um, yeah, she's, she's had a, you know, really wanted to get to Melbourne Marathon and obviously we've had to um, put that on ice and we've kind of gone back to more of a 5K, 10K focus and, She's penciled in a time trial in um, in a couple of weeks over the five k, which will be really fun. Uh, yeah, it's just it's really good seeing the athletes, uh, you know, just particularly ones I coach, and and hearing it across the whole group um, and even our community that yeah, people plugging in time trials, hitting sessions, trying different things. You know, even Stu, you can recall Stu's been on the show a couple of times. He's he's pumping out workouts on the footy oval near him because he usually has a bit more flexibility to get a bit further out and. He did. He actually, incidentally, he did Matt's workout as well, and um, yeah, and, and just um, getting strong as well because he's doing it on different surfaces. So people, runners trying uh, different terrain, and this is a good time to to test a few different things out. Yeah, have you been have you been trying any different terrain, or have you been sticking to the sort of paths that um around <laughs> close to you? You haven't jumped onto any ovals or anything, have you? Not yet. I'm going to do a workout this weekend, and um, yeah, I'm going to mix it up a bit. I'm, I'm trying to mix the the routes up a bit, and just um, yeah, change it up, implement a few more hills, uh, yeah, just within within my sort of area, trying to to make use of different areas that um, you know for, for different sessions, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's keeping it interesting, but um, look, I'm still enjoying that part of the day. Uh, you know, I think mm. yeah, we're still super lucky that we can get out the door and, and do what we love and yeah and i know once once it all comes back um yeah we're really gonna go embrace it actually talking about that we had a really good post in in our closed member group from from one of our athletes and it was basically talking about um you know where things are at, at the moment missing that those start line feels you know that even the park runs of the weekly sort of familiarity of going to park runs, seeing your friends and running friends and, and that, you know, meeting after races, all those things that you get from events. And, and we're all, we're all missing that. And I think 
as a community, it's, um, you know, we, we, we're all doing our bit to, bit to sort of stick together and you know, providing these workouts, you know, run to PB, and, you know, live stream events, content. And I think we spoke about, you know, we're even going to put on a, a bit of a virtual race tent <laughs> so we can at least get people together and, you know, in a formal way, have an informal way, have a bit of a chat. And, yeah, I know it's, um, yeah, I don't know for you, Maddie, but you must be missing getting those start line feels and, and the post-race um, banter. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I am. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's, it has never been, never been this long without a race, I'd say. And um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, missing that nervous energy feeling that you get rocking up to a race and on the start lines and that, that runner's high when you, um, when you nail a good race. And I guess it, when you think about it, it has, has probably come a bit of an addiction that, that um really really missing out on um but and and that's a it's a lot to to do with it but it's not just the only thing about the race and that feeling of accomplishment it's it's that whole process um and i like to i remember um it was driving when i used to do a bit of um, a bit of surfing um and it wasn't just that act of getting out in the water and and amongst the wave It, it was the whole journey with your mates like driving down the coast um, talking a bit of smack, having a bit of banter, um, having the fish and chips afterwards and, you know, doing, doing some, some of those fun times. It, it wasn't just the act of the surfing. It was everything involved with that whole journey and that whole trip. And, and I'm finding that about missing with the races is, you know, rocking up and, and seeing your mates there and having a, having a bit of a ding-dong battle, a ding-dong battle with them, going out for coffee or whatever after or, you know, going to a brewery out, out of Coldstream or something like, um, yeah, it's so that, that whole journey and that whole pre- process that, that I think I'm missing the most. Um, not just the, that, that, um, the endorphin kick that you get from, from races. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm just trying to think it's it, for a lot of people, it has to be the longest time they've had between races. <laughs> you know, um, mm. you know, I, I can't recall a season like this ever, obviously with winter and yeah, I know, you know, I haven't raced a 10... Oh, well, we did actually do a 10K this year, so I can't say that. Um, but, yeah, we're going to go through the year, you know, without a cross-country race, and that's um, that's quite bizarre. And, yeah, yeah that club feel and the community and, and yeah, getting in and out there. I know we've got Strava, and it's great that people get around each other and give some kudos and do things like that. And even, look, it's just, um, you know, small things like when you're out for a run and you get that the other nod from the other runner, and I think everyone's... Yeah, everyone's feeling it out there and it's just, um, yeah, we just keep keep doing what we can and, yeah, our time will come. I know races will come back eventually. It's just uh, when and how that happens. And it's, it's, you know, I think we're probably in the midst of it because we're in, in uh, Victoria here or in New South Wales in the same boat. But the other states are, are rolling again. So that's, that gives us some comfort that it, that it will return. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it, I mean, yeah, you see them and, and very happy, happy for them, and, it, and it's fantastic to see that's going back. And yeah, hopefully we're not we're not too far off that um, off that um, yeah that feeling of, of getting back into into the races. And I remember um, even yeah like that trip that we took down to um, down to um, Geelong for that for the race. Mm. Um, like even that that whole you know the trip we're driving up there and, and talking some smack and then have a, I think we had a bit of a boost juice afterwards actually and then, uh, and then a bit of a drive home yeah talking talking all things running and, and how the event went and how we thought our races were and yeah looking forward to getting back to that 
for sure, mate. Yes. And uh, I'll have to try and turn the tables again. <laughs> hey, um, speaking about races. I do like bringing that race up. Yeah. yeah I was, I was, I keep forgetting how you went in that race. Yeah. Well, they say you're always as good as your last race or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but actually speaking about races and, and someone who has done a lot over the years is, um, is our guest on uh, the Better With Running podcast this week. It's, um, it's Luke Bell, who, um, you know, in the running world, you may not know the name, but in the triathlon world, you would because um, he's at 50 plus podium finishes um, in races as far-fetched as, you know, Cancun and, you know, right across, you know, across the world. He's been in... The US, he's Brazil. He's one of nine men, I think, in Brazil. Um, yeah, he spent 20 plus years as a pro traveling the world, chasing the sun. And um, yeah, I had a, had a great chat to him. And there's some really good insights into, into you know, some real takeaways, I guess, for, for runners, you know, and all sports, really, because, you know, as an endurance athlete and, and someone at the very top, he's, um, yeah, the learnings he's, he's sort of, gives us it's um yeah it's really great listen mate yeah awesome i'm looking I've, I've had a bit of a listen to the to the start of it and one of the things that yeah really resonated with me what was um when he talked about how he's um wanting to train for for a half uh half marathon at the moment and um now that we've you know outside a um not well, obviously not 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 having the races going on it is finding it a bit challenging with um with the motivation to actually, you know, hit up hit sessions really hard, um, and that's yeah, I found found that sort of exact same feeling. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to get out for the sixty minutes and, and do some sessions. But yeah, haven't been able to really get into that that um, really um, fatigued state where you where you hurt. And um, so yeah, like I'm looking forward to the rest of the the chat that you had with him. Um, and yeah, because it's just obviously um, done so much um, and, and travelled the world and got so much experience. He has, yeah. I mean, I I, um, I crossed paths with him back when I was training. Um, yeah, sort of got back into running, and we um, yeah just through a, through a training group. Um, yeah, started doing some sessions, and then yeah, he's. I mean, you can you'll hear in this interview with some of the people he's trained with. You know, Tour de France riders, Olympic swimmers, and you know, of course facing himself in Boulder. So he's come across a lot of the top, top class runners and train with them. And even as recent times, he was helping Mad- Madeline Heiner, one of the run to BB coaches as a, as a trainee hack, uh, getting on the front on a few sessions. I remember him out at Albert Park. He did like something crazy. It was a, a 20 minute tempo into 24 times 200. So he, he's a pretty versatile athlete, you know, obviously being able to jump on the bike and swim and, and then, do that sort of stuff on the track he's um yeah and i think what i've um what i've really enjoyed with his company when i've done runs with him he's he's really approachable and humble about what he's done and i think there's some really good takeaways around the way he sort of dials in and his mindset in races they're the things that i took away from it as well yeah, well, I imagine when you um when you train with him, you wouldn't have um much of a windbreak <laughs> for him. Yeah, you know, I was sitting behind him yeah, most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, have you ever considered triathlons, Matt? Like, is that? I know it's a question without notice, but is that is that ever crossed your mind? Because you, I reckon, I recall you would be pretty have been pretty handy on the bike in you know, years gone by. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, used to used to do a bit of riding back when I was at, at school. Got got pretty heavily involved with some mountain biking, um, going up in the hills of um, Dandenong Ranges. It was kind of um, yeah, my brother and I kind of really decided that that would be something fun to do because to, we explored some of the trails on some um, these really heavy steel bikes and like oh yeah, this would be a lot better if we could um, go a bit faster. So yeah, we invested in some some. Um, faster bikes with suspension and yeah got in got into that sort of world for a bit there and and it was it was it was a fun um really fun experience and but it never really led to um thinking about uh getting into the triathlon space um i i guess yeah i don't know it was there was a i guess the swimming really didn't really take my fancy um i never really enjoyed like i, I guess i could i could swim a little bit but not all that good and it and it never really um yeah never really excited me that much though um but what about yourself have you ever thought about yeah crossing paths into the dark world of um <laughs> dark no. world of triathlons no not really i've enjoyed a little bit some small spins on the bike and um yeah the swimming doesn't really excite me as a, a lot a lot of laps in the pool and all the rest of it but i i and we talked about this in the interview with Luke where we um we both remembered watching um Wild Water Sports and when it's showing my age here, but they used to show the um the Iron Man, Hawaiian Iron Man, and um that's what inspired him. And, you know, Luke's he ended up finishing fifth in the Hawaii. Um, you know, and he finished he he went there thirteen times. Um, you know, and this is Kona, obviously the 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 Mecca for long distance triathlon and to be able to go and do that. Um, yeah. I mean, it's inspiring and it's, you know, I, I do recall watching that guy. How cool is this? You know, these, these guys and girls absolutely belt themselves for eight, nine, you know, seven, eight, nine hours. And um, yeah, it was really interesting hearing him talk about Kona. And I, and I think you never know down the track. Um, I, I look, I, I, don't think I would train for an Ironman, but um, yeah, it'd be fun to try something different to um, yeah, jump on the bike and swim and run and yeah, give it a crack at some point in my life. Nice. So I'm looking forward to looking forward to that one. Seeing that you're in the pool, um, but yeah, I've always been um, yeah, in awe of the the training that they're able to do and the commitment that they have. Like when you're getting up for a pools, like I mean, you almost you talk about um, getting doubles or triples in you know you get you're at the pool in the morning for for your swim and then probably maybe you know hit up a run at some point and then the next day you're out for a massive ride and then maybe run in the arvo and yeah the the um the time must take to train for those things is is incredible and yeah absolutely kudos to to them for for yeah putting in that sort of work Sure. Yeah. Well, let's throw to it because there's a bit to it. It's about a 90 minute odd um, listen. So um, yeah, I think I think listeners are really going to enjoy this one. All right. Let's let's cut to it. This week I sat down with Luke Bell. He gets the title of our first triathlete on the Better with Running podcast. I've had the pleasure of uh, training with Luke in recent years and uh, I've always loved his attitude and philosophy in, on sport and obviously his experiences and longevity in the sport are really inspirational. You'll find out that Luke debuted at Kona uh, in Hawaii, which is arguably the world's most famous endurance event, the Ironman World Championships. 
he debuted at an age of uh, just a ripe age hold of uh, 22 and then he went on to go to 13 Konas he even managed to snag two top 10s in there uh, yeah Luke's professional career across from the triad 70.3 in the full Ironman distance it sort of amassed 50 plus podiums uh, like four top 10s in, in world championships um, yeah lots of amazing performances i guess in this interview we didn't delve too deeply into the into those results uh, we did talk about kona uh, we talked a lot about his training training experiences and philosophies and some of the lessons he's learned training with with you know the world's best uh luke yeah he's just one of those guys who you know if you get on a long run with him it's always got a belter of a story and makes those 90 minutes go in a flash and uh, yeah, so I think you're really going to enjoy that this. And yeah, Luke, Luke actually was kind enough to take some time out uh, off the chalk. He's a busy man at the moment with uh, obviously working from home for Triathlon Victoria as an athlete pathway manager. Uh, so he's mentoring lots of up and coming athletes. And at the moment, yeah, that time off the chalk is he's helping homeschool his two kids along with his uh, lovely wife, Lucy. So yeah, I think I think there's a lot of value in this for runners and yeah, hopefully you can all enjoy this one and uh, yeah, let's tune in. Luke Bell, welcome to the Better With Running podcast. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, I guess, interesting trying to juggle the, the running in the real real world in this current Current time, we've gone from looking for, I guess, you know, trying to get quicker and faster into using it more as a, a therapy for being stuck inside four walls at the minute here in Victoria anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny. I, know, uh, I hit you up for, um, to get you on here because you know, as we've obviously been in touch for a while. And I, I was actually thinking when we did cross paths, and it was back in the old... Um, First time I sort of came across uh, Luke Bell was in the the old Hipworth days when I was I was coming off a, a layoff and getting into the to the pro running or what they call pro out running their handicap racing and more social and you were you were still kind of um, going back and forth between the US and Australia I believe at that time and yeah found myself in a group with you out at I reckon it was Olympic Park the old Olympic Park and uh, doing some one k reps oh yes. <laughs> I remember this big guy because I was just sitting behind taking the wind because uh, you had the big guns out and I was able to sit behind and you were moving really well. And I'm thinking, this bloody triathlete's put me away here. Like, what's going on? Um, do you remember those days back then? Yeah, I did. Like, it's funny you talk about that because when you said, you know, sort of Olympic Park, mate, at the minute you sort of think Lakeside. But you actually forget that, um, yeah, back in those those days it was yeah back at the old olympic park um that was a good group we had a good group then you know the the afl boundary boys were there and they know slick at the old 1500 and up as well i think mara's still still rocking around i think um then yourself and it was a good enjoyable group and obviously you know hippo hippo and that um was a was a i guess pride it was the big ripped unit in the group um but you know I think yourself, like me, was always intrigued by the pro runners. Um, I guess generally at heart, we're out there thinking you get on a start line, you go as hard as you can, you try and win the race. And then 
you know, we're running around talking to these guys and they're like, oh, I'm trying to run a bit slower this weekend. I want heavy legs. And they're all worried about their indices and handicaps yeah. and how they're going to fare for one race. And I just couldn't get my head around, you know, yeah. running crap for most of the season to try and win one race. Yeah, it's just, I still yeah. can't comprehend it. <laughs> I don't think, I think to be fair, the distance runners were probably a bit more um, legit about it. We were sort of always had that, that I think the sprinters tended to go down that route as uh, the <laughs> distance runners were like we had Dan Hornery, you know, who ended up running what two nineteen, and he was in that group. I remember jumping in with him with sessions, and uh, he was always keeping on us. But I, I actually think, oh, what do you reckon? You'd done that session, and then said, "Oh, we're warming down," and, and you'd said something like, "Oh, I'd run. I'd already ridden a hundred k in the morning or something." <laughs> I'm thinking far out, and that was always the thing with you because I know. Um, and since then, we've obviously become great mates on and off the track and trained a bit, uh, moved recently in with, um, you know, training with Craig Mottram's group. I know you were around in, in Melbourne during the times when we could actually train as a group and you come in off the bike and, you know, jump in and do a few sessions and, and helping the younger kids as well. And that's obviously a role you've got now with, with Tri Vic. But, you know, with group sessions, uh, you know, a thing of the past at the moment, how are you, how are you coping with that? lack of group elements and training groups yeah like, i guess you know to be perfectly honest it's actually very difficult mm. um you know for all, i think during the lockdown number one you know it was sort of new um you're experiencing it for the first time and you get through it and you know you still had your sort of goals you wanted to aim towards and you could still get some hard sessions done during the week where i think this you know, second time round, you know what you're in for. And I guess the lockdown's been a bit more severe. So, again, I started out and still trying to make sure I hit, you know, I was still trying to hit key sessions. You know, it's not my profession anymore as such, racing full-time after 20 years. Um, but, you know, you still want to try and improve. And I had different goals and aspirations, whether it be looking towards, you know, trying to get under 70 for a half, and um, which I haven't done, you know, since I was about 20 years of age, I think and or run a marathon but as the longer this you know this lockdown's gone stage four it's you know that that motivation i guess to do the hard sessions has dwindled a bit but you know i've, I've now come back to realizing that the the sat not satisfaction but i guess the joy in the day is actually to get outside um and you know i'm lucky enough to have a treadmill at home but you know try and use it as little as possible and just to try and get outside and get outside of four walls and, you know, you sort of smell the roses as such because the, whether it be, you know, the hormones, enjoyments or just being able to switch off and go for a run, um, for me along, you know, Bayside or on the, on the bay there, it's just you come back feeling 200 times better than when you stepped out the door. Yeah, I could also imagine you... You're, you've got the role as the uh, homeschool teacher at the moment as well. <laughs> so uh, getting out for that hour is, um, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely got an added, uh, added extra bit of a pep in the step when you can do that. Yeah, we've got tomorrow. We've actually got a hundred days of homeschooling. So that sort of <laughs> when, when that ticked over, it's like, wow, that puts it in perspective pretty quick. Yeah, so you got a new, new uh, renewed respect for uh, the teaching teaching industry now i'm guessing yeah 100 percent. i was just thinking like as you mentioned you know dan hornery and that too and, and you both well you know he used to turn up 
yeah, after, you know, unfortunately I picked the long, the long course triathlon. So you, you would be out there doing 180s, 180, 200k rides every Wednesday and try and back up and do some 300s on the track with you guys on Thursday. Well, I think one of the, one of the sessions I remember, and I used to love running with, with Dan, you know, there was sort of no crap to him. Um, you just get it done. And I used to see him trotting around everywhere with his power bar singlet and backpack on um, through Elwood there. Um, he actually lived a couple of streets over from me, from me when I was living in Elwood. But then we hooked up one day and he's like, oh, come do some K reps. And I'm like, yep, sure. So, you know, like everyone, you're doing across the bottom of the tan there. Um, I know we did the warm up, sort of jogged there 15 minutes. And I'm like, oh, how, how many have we got? And he's like, oh, 16. Uh, it's just like, excuse me? <laughs> he's like, oh, I've got 16 tonight, one minute rest. And I was like, oh, awesome. You know, thanks. <laughs> So he started out, I think he, you know, he started out conservative and got the 310 or something. And yeah. I think I hang on, hung on for about eight of them. And then I'm like, I can't see myself getting through 16. So, you know, I just sort of jogged around and did my cool down and watched him churn out, you know, 16 ones. And I reckon his slowest would have been about a 315, I reckon. The man was an absolute machine. He, yeah, he was. And that, that's a... That's a, a big rap from a machine yourself, you know, because I, I look at that, you know, I look at that resume and I, I was telling you just, just off the air that I, I went down a few rabbit holes looking at you on online and, and, you know, the resume is huge. I mean, I, I mentioned in the intro, you've had 50 plus podium across your career and you, you've been in the sport. And I think I've, I've joked at you before about having, you know, experience and that probably not alluding to you being a bit older nowadays, but you've been in the sport for so long and that, that, is a testament to, I guess, your might, also your, your resilience as a as an athlete, but also you, I think, um, the way you carry yourself, and you know, I guess how you're able to just keep running up year in year out, and also you know, I've had some, well, obviously had some setbacks along the way, but you know, I think that love for the sport, and like we're talking about earlier about just getting out the door, and you know, you smell the roses, and you can get out and enjoy it, and I guess. Um, I want to take us just, I know this is a running podcast and, but you know, let's, let's just talk about a couple of things. And the big one on your resume is, is Kona. And I'm sure that's the one that despite you've, you've had two Ironman wins, you've had so many wins in the 70.3, but you know, finishing fifth at the world champs in Kona and, you know, as most of the listeners would know, you know, the longest, what is it, the longest distance in triathlon? Um, 3.8K swim, 180K on the bike, 42K run just to finish it all off. Um, yeah. <laughs> that okay. event, I mean, it, that day when you came fifth must have been, was it life-changing life for you? Um, yeah, it was like, it's an interesting one. I had two top tens there, a fifth and a seventh. And I sort of look back and, and see in terms of a race, that I'm probably most more proud of would be the seventh would be mainly because the gun went off in the morning um, and you, you know, you're in for, you know, eight hours of pain anyway, but the gun went off and you generally know within the first five minutes, how, how you're going to go. And I just felt crap, like 400 meters into that swim. You're like, this is going to be a painful day. So I guess just slug it out, mentally stay in the mix and, and keep, you know, reminding and pushing yourself to, no, no, don't give in, don't give in, you know, it'll come back, be patient and just stay on top of it for eight and a half hours. Um, the mental drain was huge. So I reckon I'm more proud to hang on to a seventh 
in that one. But the fifth, yeah, like that was, it was my second attempt at the Ironman um, over there in Hawaii. So it was, you know, I grew up doing little athletics. I did little athletics from under six through to under 16 sort of thing. And I did that every year in Portland. Um, started in Warrnambool actually. Um, and, you know, funnily enough, you, Michelle Ferris was there, the Australian track cyclist. Um, she was from Warrnambool as well. So she was a little athletics there, competed against my sister, did it all through Portland. But it was when I was high school, I guess, I saw the Ironman on Nines Wide World of Sport. Yeah. Um, and I saw Greg Welch, who's now a good friend, um, win it. And I just remember saying to mum, I go, that's a cool event. I'd love to do that one day. And she still remembers sort of me saying it. So it was... I guess that realisation, the first year was amazing just to be there. Um, and I think come 16th that first year. And then went back the next year as, you know, a bit more serious because the first year was really just, oh, it was totally unexpected. You know, I'd raced one Ironman before it. Is, I finished university, raced one Ironman because I thought that's when I'd only be able to do it. Qualified, went to Kona and come 16th in the world sort of thing. It was like, wow. Um, and then ball rolled into the fifth and you're like, yeah, it was not... I wouldn't say life-changing, but it definitely made you realise that, gee, I could actually make a living out of this. Um, I did the sports science degree and realised it wasn't a hell of a lot of jobs, so I did teaching as well. Um, I thought, you know, travelling around the world doing triathlon could be a hell of a lot more fun than, you know, slotting back into the school teacher lifestyle. You mentioned, because this was back in the days when it was on Wild World of Sports, when you were inspired by, uh, you know, it was on the Saturday or the Sunday, even both days, I think. Um, was it a pinch yourself moment when you got over there at like, you know, two, what are you, 23-ish, 22 maybe? Or when you date Yeah, 22, 23, yeah. Yeah, like... Yeah, and you think most of, the guys are, most of the guys are, you know, you, you talk Ironman distance and, you know, in a way it's, you know, the similar progression as running through to, through to marathon. It's, you, you'll see the guys come through the track first to shorter distances then, you know, progressively step up and Ironman sort of a similar progression. Um, Due to the nature of the sport, you probably, you know, the the peak is 33 through to 38. Um, there's a few guys that try and hang on to 40 sort of thing. But that mid-30s mid is probably your ballpark years. Um, so as a 22, 23-year-old, yeah, sort of thrust into it pretty early. But, yeah, was it a pinch? Like getting off the plane onto the big island, um, one, how hot it is, um, two, the amount of lava there. It's like it's the big island of Hawaii is just a big volcano. And the race runs along the edge of it. Um, and the marathon, like, is one of the most non-scenic marathons ever. You run out of, you know, a two-lane highway into an energy lab, which is actually an in industrial, you know, wave water energy lab. It, it gets yeah. energy from the ocean and converts it into power. That's the actual yeah. energy lab. People have this image of the energy labs as, you know, beautiful place that you run into and you're like, no, you run through wire gates, you run into their industrial area, you yeah. do a U-turn at the bottom and you run out. <laughs> um, but, you know, you're walking down the streets and for me it was, you know, Mark Allen and Dave Scott who both won it six times and, you know, I got to meet Paul and Yubi Fraser who's won it eight times who later on her and her husband become my coach um, for many years. So, yeah, to be able to meet, I guess, you know, the icons in the sport, um, yeah, like that That sort of thing was definitely a pinch your moment. And then being able to go around the course and actually be on the course of what you've seen on television, um, it's yeah. it's still pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty surreal watching it in, you know, Portland and, and yeah, Portland, yeah. Victoria, and then you're out <laughs> yeah. and you're pumping it away in the energy lab and you ended up 
I mean, yes, yes. Was it 13 times you've been to, competed at the Hawaii? Is that right? Yeah, I've been on the start line 13 times. Um, you know, good, bad, and the ugly. Gone from a few top 10s to a 13th, I think, a, you know, an 18th, a 20 something, a few walks. Yeah. Um, had a torn meniscus there. Went there one year with the onset of pneumonia, um, which I got diagnosed sort of the week before we left. Um, yeah, a couple of, couple of crashes, a bit of lost nutrition and, and a bit of an unconscious time uh, for about half an hour where the blood pressure dropped to 60 on 80. So they were actually, actually quite worried I was going to have a stroke. Um, my wife was there at the time and obviously, and my mother actually, and from that moment, mum has never gone back to Hawaii since. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, after, after watching that, I guess, um, when, yeah. as soon as I was talking rectal thermometer, I was like, no, no, I'm good, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's a few scary ones, a few good ones, but you know, that's a part of, yeah. I guess, part of the experience, as they say. But getting to the line in these, yeah, this, this is the, the prize event. Just to get to the line 13 times is, is, is a huge effort in itself because, you know, you don't just jump on the website and sign up. Like, you've got to, you've got to you know, do the qualifying races, get the points or, and all the rest of it. Um, you know, I guess that's the sort of thing where I think sometimes we forget when, you know, athletes do all the Ks and all the laps in the pool and everything you've done to get to that moment. And that's, that's the achievement in itself. And, you know, then to go on and get top 10s is, is even, even huger. So, yeah, it must be yeah, great to like- reflect on. Yeah, and you know, I think now they they only allow fifty on the start line. Um, so it's you think globally, there's fifty guys trying to make that start line um, as professionals. So it's like as you said, it's the preparation, it's the time in making sure you you hit a race to be able to qualify or collect points. Um, so it's sort of like you know you're trying to peak twice a year um, and then slot in the other races around it to try and get your income. Oh, because at the end of the day, two two races aren't going to, you know, give you an income or keep sponsors happy. Uh, so there's a lot of planning preparation. There's a fair bit of not so much luck if you plan and prepare properly, but there's still a lot of luck involved. And you do you get once you get on that start line, it's it's nearly more relief because the race day is the easiest part. If you can get there healthy, healthy, uninjured, um, and not sick with a decent preparation, then. Yeah, it's like throwing balls in the air. You know, everyone's in for a shot sort of thing. Um, mm. But the hardest part is actually getting to that start line. Yeah, so yeah, getting in, getting on the field and being in the game and like, and I'm guessing, you know, flying, you know, like it, it may look like it's definitely not a holiday. You're not just jumping off the plane and sipping uh, pina coladas on the, you know, tell like it is, it would be, I'd imagine how far out do you arrive? Is it a week out or a couple of weeks out? And did, are you pretty much on tender hooks then? Like pretty stressed, got to tick in, you know, wrapping yourself in cotton wool. Because it's, uh, you're up against, like you said, you know, 50 of the best athletes in the world in your sport and yeah I, I guess that would be a pretty intense time to be around in a tense environment yes sort of like you know it's like any other sport too like the guys whether it be athletics you know swimming team sports that you're competing against the same guys all year so you know you know within yourself you know where your form's at sort of whereabouts you're at and and by the time the, the good thing about Kona is 
um, any other race of the year, people are going through different preparations, different phases, different levels of fitness. But currently, you know, it's the World Championships and everyone's as fit as they can be and as fresh as they can be for that time of the year. So expect everyone to be in peak form. Um, and then, you know, the, the preparation-wise, I think we used to start prepping for, for Hawaii, which is generally the first or second weekend in October in July. Mm. Um, and you try and be finished your prep by September. Um, a lot of, you know, it's the, the old thing. People will try and train all the way up, but you've actually got to allow that period for your body to recover from the training. So make the adaptations that all the training you've done. Um, you know, you'd watch people still doing, whether it be 34K long runs, sort of two or three weeks out from the race. And you're like, well, you know, put a red line through them because they're too cooked and overdone, especially yeah. when you take it to Hawaii with the extra heat and humidity yeah. and the pressure. It's like too much strain on the body. So we'd try and be done the training or the, you know, the, volume of training i guess by september um freshen up recover allow the body to adapt a few sharpness and then it, it's sort of race day um but those last few days i guess it's more about you're more on a knife's edge about not getting sick mm. because obviously there's a, fair, a little bit of travel involved um you know airplanes aren't the most hygienic places in the world yes. so generally if you can get to get to Kona and you, you haven't got a sniffle um you know you touch wood and hope everything's going well but even preparation wise we used to head to hot humid places so you know i spent a lot of my time in san diego we do a lot of training out in the in the desert in borrego springs so we you know we'd ride out there and get off and do you know 21k 25k runs off the bike out in the desert um, which is actually you know Borrego's on the way to Death Valley so you know I think just the other day it was recorded 56 degrees in Death Valley over in the States so it used to be we'd get out there we'd ride past this massive thermometer um, near a, a fire station and it would rarely be under 42 degrees so we knew when we we're getting off the bike we're 42 to 45 degrees. Um, it's a dry heat. So obviously Kona is nowhere near that hot, but humidity's up. Um, and it's just more about putting the strain on the body or the system as such. Yeah. Did you prepare for any Konas um, back from Australia or were they always in, in the US that you were sort of preparing? Because I'm thinking, how do you simulating that environment as well because that's that complexity of that race is there's so many elements of, you know, the, the weather's involved, but, you know, that, conditions and how do you did you do anything like that over here heat training or anything like that yeah funnily enough you're about one of the few people that have actually asked that and the year i come seventh is the year i actually prepare for it in melbourne hmm. um and I, I still argue to people like ideally you want to go somewhere else to prepare but you know there's a, a small percentage of us that can but most other people it's the seventh just shows it's possible to do it from an environment in Melbourne. It's just, again, planning and ha having everything done properly. So what we actually did, um, I remember that year, I used to drive up to Queensland and do a month of training up there before I'd fly out um, yeah. with Cameron Brown from New Zealand, actually. Yeah. But I got in the car at mum and dad's um, here in Melbourne and I was like, you know what? I just mentally couldn't do it because I just... The drive itself, I was just sort of mentally cooked that year yeah. from tr all the travel. I think we had 56 flights in three months. Uh, so there's a lot of flying that year. Yeah. So I unpacked the car, walked back inside, and they're sort of like, what's going on? I'm like, no, I'm not going. I'm staying here. So then it was like, how do I, how do we do this properly? So 
actually went to Dick Smith's, bought a humidity, heat humidity gauge. Yeah. Um, I bought an old, an old urn that you bubble, you know, the hot water urns yeah, that you see yeah, at footy yeah. clubs. Yeah. Put that in the bathtub. I uh, <laughs> put the trainer in the, in the bathroom and I just slowly, I'd get the temperature and humidity to what, well, effectively 100% humidity because the air, could, the water couldn't evaporate. And I'd pedal away. I'd start at 20 minutes and I'd just slowly build up, build up, build up. Um, and ended up, we had to repaint the bathroom walls after that, actually. But we'd get up to, so I'd, here in Melbourne, I'd go and do the hell ride um, in the morning, get 100Ks done, come back, jump on the trainer in the, in the bathroom at, you know, hot as hell conditions, yeah. do another hour, hour and a half in there, then get off and do, you know, whether it be a 15 to 20K run off the bike sort of thing, lay it up with thermals and whatnot. Um, and then the other one we did during that period was, obviously it was during Melbourne winter as well. We, we hooked up with Fitness First in Richmond there. Oh, I yeah. had a friend that used to personal train out of there. And somehow we talked him into letting us train there during the day. And we'd go in there and we'd grab the spin bot. We'd go into a spin class or two um, and you, you sweat during that anyway. But then once the classes were done for the day, we'd drag the spin bikes into the sauna in the Richmond fitness first. <laughs> so we're sitting in there with you know, guys in their jocks, lounging around and we're spinning away, having combos and randoms. We actually, one day we're sitting in there riding away, the two of us and Anthony Kalia, you know, the, the singer. Oh the yeah. Idol, sort of, he came in, sat down and had a yard for an hour or so. <laughs> um, and we'd get off, sort of, we'd do that for sort of 40, 45 minutes, then jump out, run on the treadmill flat out for 15, 20 minutes, sort of knock out 5K sort of thing. Yeah. And we just repeat that for, you know, four Jeez. or five hours pretty much. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I'd do it with an, another mate that was going, so we had the company. But, you know, we, we guaranteed the fitness first that we wouldn't wreck the spin bikes. And, <laughs> you know, yeah, no, they that were clean when we left them, but I have no <laughs> doubt six months later they were covered in rust. But, yeah. yeah, here we are, you know, just wheeling spin bikes into a spin room. We've jammed <laughs> the door slightly open. You just yeah. dread the guy that says, can I shut the door completely? Because you're like, oh, this is going to hurt. But, <laughs> Half an hour. Um, yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. We did. We just did simple things like that to try to yeah. replicate heat and humidity. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's real old school. And I think that you know, you're seeing people on Zwift now, and they're like, "Oh, maybe I won't do my session because you know, my Zwift isn't working, you know, or I'm not going to go on yeah. because I have got got to have my iPad and everything connected up so I can watch something." And it's like you just get in and do the work, and that's. I guess that's what that old school tough sort of. And when you're out there in eight hours and you're, you know, four or five hours in on the bike or whatever in, uh, in Kona, these are the things that I guess draw your strength and you go, well, I'm bloody tough because do- I've done some of this, this hard work when, when no one's watching, you know? you know. It's not going on Instagram back then. It's not, um, for, uh, you know, for show. It's you're just doing it because you know that's what's going to make you better and you're getting the best out of yourself. Yeah, it's, and I know I always come back to I've always done exercise for enjoyment. Like I've never been one to yeah need the visual stimulant or you know even like even long runs. Like I rarely listen to music or anything on the long runs. I like being out there. I like hearing my feet hit the ground. I like hearing your breathing. I like looking around. Like sort of getting lost in in nature. Where you know you sort of look at some people today and they can't do twenty minutes without some sort of visual stimulus or audio mm. stimulus or that. And you sort of question whether you actually enjoy doing the exercise because it's like yeah. you're trying to have other things 
in and around yourself to take your mind off the exercise. Hmm. Um, where, as I said, exercise has always been a part of my life and I've loved it and it always will be. Um, and I, I, I just like that natural part about it. And I said, like, as I said, you know, running is you know, one of the simplest forms. You just need your two feet and you go out and do it. And the feelings you get, the sound, just hear what you see. Yeah, it's hmm. just... I enjoy that more than needing visual stimulus. Sure, yeah. Yeah, oh, I mean, I'm obviously, uh, and everyone listening here is, is probably all in the running camp going, yeah, you're spot on with that. Because, you know, I've, I've done a very little cycling in, in my day and I've jumped on beach road when I was injured. And I found, even for me as a runner who's always just chucked on the shoes and run out the door, I found that cycling element of having to put the gear on then having to worry about traffic yeah. having to worry about the packs and seeing hopefully you don't get cleaned up you know that sort of stuff now you know that you strip it back to being a runner you just get out and do it and i guess for you is that that where you're at now with your with running and has, has that always been the thing was running the the one thing you, just, you mentioned little ass but was was running your strongest leg is that why you kind of went towards the you know continued on with this with the try um, you know, as I said, I did little ass all the way through and so did my sister actually. Um, but I was mainly, I guess, you know, in the country, it's, it's more team sports. I played basketball, um, did tennis, uh, football, probably basketball and football were the main and, and little athletics. And I'd always, you know, come down to the state titles. I think I come fourth one year was my best ever result in the 800 meters. I was, a, funnily enough, I was a 60 meter hurdler and... <laughs> An 800 meter runner. Which, yeah, okay. <laughs> interesting, interesting combo. Um, <laughs> I did the multi event one year, which you know I didn't mind. Um, yeah, but I think I ran like a 202, 203 or something for the 800. Yeah, um, got got kicked in the last hundred. I, I've yeah. never had a never been able to surge recover or had a big kick. It was mm. you know sort of hard pace from the gun, which probably suits me for triathlon. Yeah, um, but it was more through. I guess knee injuries I had through playing footy and basketball that I fell into triathlon. Um, I swam as a kid a little bit, surfed a lot in Portland, but I sort of fell into the sport um, with knee issues. Probably couldn't run as much then as as I could to be able to, whether it be you know make it in the running world. But you know I'd still argue that I was a de- I was a decent to good runner, but I wasn't a great runner. Um, you know I was strong and I had good endurance, but. I, as I said, I was always fourth, you know, fourth, fifth or sixth sort of thing. I was never first, second or third. Um, and, you know, I got that early days where, like, I, I've been mates with Craig Mottram since he was, you know, 17 before he was actually a runner when he was back yeah. when he was a triathlete. Yeah. Um, we went away in Vic State teams together. And, you know, he, he was always a, a magic runner and he made realise that, all right, there, there is there is a bit of difference here between a sort of a pure runner and a, a triathlete. But yeah, like there's there's a lot of triathlete guys that are. are I guess the sports progressed, especially the Olympic sport, mm. into you know, I guess leaning more towards the running side of things and actually the old school swim, bike, and run where you need to be you need to be even over over all sports. You need to be a good enough swimmer now to get out in the front pack. You need to be able to hide in the bike and. The bike's nearly biding your time now and yeah. you need to be able to get off and run, you know, that ballpark 30 minute 5k. So a lot of the, a lot of the guys now, um, and especially late in, in COVID have done, whether they've done some track time trials or races, um, 
you know, we go back to Ali Brownlee, who won London and Rio Olympics. He, he did a race in San Diego a few years back. And the week later, you know, the course was a little bit short. So we always got a bit of, you know, <laughs> flack about short courses. And to be fair, it's a good reason because they state, I think the course has to be within 10%. Um, so it's, and that's purely just who knows why designs of courses. But he backed up the week later. Um, and did a track race in in Palo Alto and ran a twenty eight thirty two and you're like well that's on the track that's that's pretty legit the week yeah, after well, a race yeah and then a couple of the boys just recently up in Queensland at the state of titles um, mm. you know Ryan Gregson won it in twenty nine low um, but you know a couple of guys that raced the local two times U series here and then uh, the rest of the TA younger guys so I guess you know sort of under twenty threes or around twenty threes um, four of them ran from you know. 29 20 through to you know just under under 30 minutes for the 10k on the track of the state so we're in fourth sixth seventh and eighth so you know it's not bad for a bunch of triathletes getting around <laughs> exactly yeah and you, you are seeing that more and more aren't you that um yeah that some of these triathletes are coming across um you know you see joel tobin white is doing really well in australia he's going to a 61 maybe 62 half yeah something ridiculous yeah maybe 62 maybe i'm giving him more yeah than this. <laughs> no, like I, rem- I remember taking him away in the, the big old schools team too. I was like the mentor, I guess, mentor athlete sort of coach chaperone. Um, at least, at least he's become a lot nice. He's a lot nicer now. He, I remember <laughs> we, used to, we used to dread him. Like he was just a little smartass. Yeah. Um, so, but it's pretty cool to see his progression. Yeah, now he's come back to running again. Because um, again, he was another guy you looked at and you're like. You're an amazing runner. He just, you know, had that stretch where he'd get injured quite a bit. But when he come back and, yeah, ran that half marathon, it's like, wow. Um, It would have been really good because I think he was on track to do London Olympics, if I'm correct, this year. London London Marathon, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So it would have been great to see him run that. Um, Hopefully we'll get to see him do a marathon sometime soon. But, yeah, yeah, there's been a few that, you know, that – and then you think the other direction, um, we've got Mel Horschel, who used to be, you know, she raced Com Games, I think, for the steeplechase for Australia. Mm-hmm. And again, just due to stress fractures and injury, um, progressed into triathlon um, through, I think, you know, rehab recovery, you know, sitting on a bike. Um, it's interesting to follow different people that use, say, bike and water running and stuff. Um, even go back to, I think it was just after Jen McKay's did the hot lap of the tan and got the mm-hmm. record for that. She put up a little video, which I found quite interesting. And she actually sits on a bike, you know, as a cross-training session. I think it was once or twice a week um, and does a bit of water running and swimming as recovery as well. Yeah. So it's, you know, here's, here, here again as a runner, um, but trying to decrease the load on the bones and stress on the body. Um, and you can do that by still, you know, obviously working your cardio system on, on a bike and, and swimming. Do you need to do lots of those sessions? No. Um, but it's just interesting to see him incorporate those things into, and, you know, we're talking top-end elite Olympic runner, still incorporating those sorts of things into their programs um, to increase their performance. Yeah, and, yeah, yes, I mean, there is there is a lot of, um, yeah, I think, like you sort of mentioned, there's a lot of innovation and changes and people starting to look at things a little bit different. But but sort of harking back to your days, because I mentioned, so you turned pro, what, for... Far out now is that twenty long time years? ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah, need the big calculator for that. One. But hey, um, but you were based, so you effectively chased this, chased the sun. Would you say, um, you know, going yep. here in the states? 
uh, based in San Diego and in Boulder for a fair bit, a fair bit of time. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, so it was about twenty years ago. Um, for the first sort of eight, eight to ten years, um, we used to go to Boulder, or we'd go over there. I'd spend, you know, the the summer in Melbourne here it was eighteen years where I never saw a winter. Um, <laughs> oh, so it was sort of quite nice. <laughs> it's a bit that of explains the tan that you always got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't a solarium, <laughs> um, but. Yeah, for the first few years, we used to, uh, it was like 2002, 2010, I think, we used to go to Boulder uh, the majority of the time. Um, we'd leave here sort of April and then we'd return home after Kona in October, so late October, November. Mm. And then, you know, from 2010 onwards, we sort of based in San Diego. I, I enjoyed Boulder. Uh, Boulder's very nice. Um, the altitude was good, uh, but... I was going there to race, so that was my bulk race season. So I was actually going in and out of altitude every, you know, two to three weeks to do events, and I just really struggled. Or um, like iron levels dropped, I, I just got really fatigued going in and out of altitude all the time, and then having to belt yourself at altitude, not not acclimatised to it. Um, so we made the decision to go back to more sea level base, um, hence going back to San Diego because it is just easier to do hard sessions and recover properly. Yeah. And then Boulder, Boulder's sort of become a bit of a bubble. Um, and interestingly yeah. enough, I talked to Mottram about this too, because I think he went there for one or, you know, one or two summers, I think, and they had this lake sort of out, out of town a bit, sort of probably similar to Albert Park Lake in a way, you know, yeah. 5K around or something. And used to joke that you'd run around the lake and, and someone would knew how fast you run around the lake before you even driven, had driven back to town. So, you know, <laughs> they'd uh, get out of the car at the coffee shop and they'd be like, oh, you ran, you know, 14 minutes around the lake this morning. Yeah. Like, what the hell? So the Boulder bubble. <laughs> yeah. Um, Free Strava too. As well. No, no yeah. dark Strava. It was just, um, yeah, word of mouth travels. Yeah. Yeah. And it travels quick. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's like, it's interesting seeing how Boulder has grown over the years. You know, you, Look, Troopy's made a good living out of living there now between the running shop that he set up and and now he's got the, you know, the Boulder Track Club yeah. um, that he's got going there, um, a good, good group. But, yeah, for me and the purposes that I needed, um, I, I went back to, and based out of San Diego there. The sort of North County wasn't right downtown. Um, there's a couple of... I used to train with a couple of high school track teams um, and train at UCSD as well. Um, yeah. So the... Everything was pretty close by, and I had had the group around me that I needed to be able to make my performances better, sort of thing. Yeah, because as we were talking about earlier, just those runners and some of the names you mentioned, the, the newer runners, but some of the the uh, the runners back at Boulder in those days, you must have been amongst. And I, I don't know how you were treated as a triathlete that was, you know, seeing all these uh, runners who were big names who were doing their thing. Did you get a chance to train with some of them, jump in in the sessions? And I'm sure being an Aussie, it, it helped that, you know, you had that connection. You mentioned Troopy with some other names over there back in back then that you can recall. Yeah, like, I guess, you know, Boulder was interesting when we were there. What I mainly remember is, you know, and it's like every young athlete too, we used to run, you do this long run and one day we ran past this group of Kenyans um, and we're sitting there having a laugh, you know, you have a chuckle and then it's like, 200 metres down the track, you sit there and think, what's wrong with this picture? And it was like realising that we're running faster than guys that probably run two minutes faster plus than us over 5,000 metres. And it's like, who's the idiot here? Um, the other good one was 
the Japanese national team used to come out and they'd be training for the Ekadens, obviously, all the time. Mm. And we would be 50 kilometres out of town on our bikes and you'd just see them dotted out up the road. There'd be like a dozen of them. Yeah. And they'd all be probably about 200 metres apart running individually, full track suits and probably shuffling along really at six-minute K pace sort of thing. Just mm. trotting And you're looking around going, one, how the hell did you get out of here? Two, <laughs> you know, who's, what's, what's going on? It was bizarre. But, yeah, they were training for Ekadens and that. Uh, but, yeah, early days, you know, my memories was in Melbourne um, through another friend. I used to train with Nick Harrison. Um, oh, yeah. used to run for Glenn Huntley at the time. I think he ran a 214 or yeah, 214 yeah. or 212 uh, yeah. marathon at, at one of the Japan marathons. Um, mm. He was really good in my early years, and I'm talking when I was about 24 years of age sort of thing. Um, we used to Wednesday night sort of long, semi-long runs, midweek long run, um, around the, the Tan, uh, Faulkner and Albert Park and loop back around. Um, the other one that was in that group, which... You know, I still sort of see at the moment as a, as actually as a physiotherapist is Rob O'Donnell. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. At his physio clinic. So I talked to him quite a bit still. Um, so those guys were, were sort of here. And then over in Boulder, actually, I just, um, a New Zealand guy, Matty Reed, that I used to do a lot of training with, rocked up to his house one day and there's a, a runner sitting on the, on the couch and, you know, introduced me to him. And that was Kim Gillard from Tasmania. Oh, yeah. So he was over there running and, Maddie had employed him as a run coach sort of thing. And we, we went out one day and did a modest fart lick. And I was like, oh, <laughs> another Aussie, Aussie yeah. girl, who's this one? And I was like, oh, it's Kieran McCann. Oh, so, wow. you know, that, that became the weekly modest fart lick with Kim and Kieran and, mm. you know, Maddie and myself. Um, so that was pretty cool. Awesome. Um, and then, you know, it's, it sort of goes on. We went to a, a multi-sport camp, which was from Paul and Yubi Fraser. And that was in Wisconsin, actually. Um, and we went out for dinner that night and there's this little Welsh guy there and he, he could drink, I must say, he's a Welsh and he's chatting away. And I looked over at Paula and her husband, Harold, and I'm like, who is this guy? And they've had a grin and they're like, ask him how quick he's running a marathon. He's like, Steve, how quick are you running a marathon? He's like, oh, 208. I was a world record holder. <laughs> and I'm looking at him sitting there thinking, there's no chance you're a world record holder. Like, yeah. I guess I've looked back and they've sort of nodded at me. I was like, yeah, and you do, you know, you do your research. And it was Steve Jones who yeah. had the 208 world record in 1984. And I think <laughs> the next year he went on and ran a 207, actually. Mm. Um, so it was pretty cool. Could talk, um, definitely could drink. But, yeah. you know, the knowledge of those sorts of people is, over the years has been really cool. Um, and then even back in San Diego, it's uh, the the physical therapist I used to see there once a week, um, Meb Kapletsky used to go in. Um, he actually lived up the road. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you'd see him once a week in the gym and we'd do, you know, sort of strength and conditioning exercises and rehab stuff with Gino Cinco in there. Uh, so, you know, Meb helped, helped hook me up with a, with a few different people in this industry sort of that eventuated into different sponsorships. Um, he was always, again, like, he is seriously one of the nicest guys I think I've ever met. Would do anything for you. Um, and happy to, you know, take you out on the run. I think the only downside to Meb is he gets out on one of those elliptigo bikes. And I just used to cringe. <laughs> you know, you'd see yeah. those things like, oh, mate. Yeah. Mate, you just lost a bit of cred. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was getting a bit of coin for it, though. So probably, uh, yeah. probably took a little bit of that off. But, um, I mean, you, you mentioned those names in the running world. But obviously, 
through 20 plus years on the circuit, you've, you've been amongst some trained and obviously raced against some of the biggest names in the sport. And then even Sider, like I think you've done some Sider with like Simon Gerrans and Gerrans and uh, like Greg Henderson. And like you've, you've come across whether it's training and racing wise, some absolute, you know, tough competitors. Like, is there any, any sort of trends you notice? Like maybe the way that top, top level athletes, including yourself, how they attack, attack their sessions and even race days. Like, is there a common thread there? Yeah, I definitely think so. Like, and again, you can go back to early days. You know, one of my coaches did S&C for Michael Klim as well. So I actually watched him. I think um, it was him, Hackett. I want to say Kai Hurst. And there was someone else there that did a pool session. They just swapped out turns each hundred and, and swam one minute 100s in the pool. But, you know, that's nearly like dropping 60 second quarters on the track, lap in, lap out sort of thing. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, yeah, Gero, um, Gero Hendy, Kunda Court, they're all um, Tour de France riders. Um, and then, you know, even the recent times, you know, pre-Rio, um, I, I laughed at, you know, you say you train with Mad, Mads who coaches <laughs> for Run to PB now. Yeah. Um, but I was more of Mads' whipping boy as such, would tag in and tag out. But, yeah, the, the common theme across it all, I think, is one over all the sports or any elite athlete is they know their purpose and they know what they're there for at the session. Um, they're not into racing each other. If it's warm up, the purpose is a warm up. You know, you get your drills done and then the session's time to switch on. And then, you know, you might have your paces or speeds you need to do um, and you and you hit them. You go to the Tour de France boys, they're the same. They'd all go out training together. And like the, the general riding speed, most of the guys in or girls in general public, would able to be, be able to ride with them. But when it was time to switch on and time to do the session, that's when you could see, I guess, the mental side of things. It's, all right, now it's time to hurt. Now it's time to get the job done. And it, it goes from switching into job mode. And you yeah. do the session and it has its purpose. But then again, you know, the next day, you know, you, you go for runs with you guys up to Fernie and everyone else. And, you know, the, the thing you appreciate is, yeah, it's not, you're not trying to belt each other every day where, you know, you stand at the bottom of Anderson Street at the tan, you see people trying to outrun each other, race each other, do everything. And it's, yeah. it's learning that the, yeah, the professionals, it's sort of each session has a purpose. Yeah. Um, and when you get to enjoy it, actually enjoy it. So, you know, if it's time on the feet, you know, dial the pace right back and enjoy it. Have a conversation. The amount of people you see running with each other gasping for him trying to talk. It's like if you actually dialed it back a you know, a minute a K and mm. still get the time on the ground, you know, gravity's still gonna push you down into the ground and you're still gonna get some benefit. Yeah. And actually run it at an aerobic pace, not, you know, a threshold anaerobic pace, then that actually becomes really enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. I mean you see so many in that grey zone, you know, it's just doing these sessions these these runs that are recovery runs, but they're not really recovering from them. Um, and yeah, it's, um, I think you're spot on. I know those, those influences and those experiences he's had over the years is, you know, and, and I guess they must, those, everyone must be able to sort of switch then into race mode and go up another cog and, and find that, you know, is it almost that white line fever? Did you get that when you, when you hit the line, like you were mates with these guys on and off the track, but then when it was race day, you were able to then, switch your mind into another gear? Yeah, I guess I'd be typically what you'd call a racer. Um, Mm. My training was good. Um, I'd more prided myself 
off my training being being consistent. So I'm a big believer in consistency over time, rather than you know there, there's no magical one massive week that's going to alter everything. But if you can chip away over time and get your body to adapt to it, you, you're naturally going to get faster. Um, so I had three rules: is you don't get sick, you don't get injured, you be consistent. You get sick, you can't be consistent. You get injured, you can't be consistent. Consistency wins out over everything. Um, so I guess that's you know what I sort of sort of come back to, and it's again once the gun went off, I could always find another twenty percent. Um, it's yeah, it's whether you know what do you, whether it's that little bit of prick in you or what. It's just you didn't you know the it's competitive nature. I didn't like being beaten. I don't, and I don't think most competitors do like being beaten. Yeah. Um, where training I saw as a purpose, where racing was, all right, you can find an extra 20% because just purely because you don't like being beaten sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, too, people get caught up with it in training too. Is mm. I think it's interesting nowadays you're saying follow. It's, you know, that these... Now, whether it's Garmin's, Strava's, um, you know, you've got power meters for your feet now. It's all sorts of things. It's nearly like if you, if you can't post it, then the session actually didn't happen. Yeah. And I think, you know, I posted the other day on my social media. I was never a fan of posting data on social media because that obviously told your competitors how you were doing and how good you were going. Mm. Um, but the one time I would have posted a Strava file was the other day with a 12.35. Um, yeah. yeah, when the world record ran, I'd happily yeah. put that one up on Strava. I'd say you'd be pretty confident that yeah, if you're in that shape, post that up there because I don't think anyone's yeah. near it for a while. But I, I like that. that. It actually said he got a PR out of that. <laughs> I'd hate to see what the um, what the the calculator is giving out for some of the reps he's got to got to now do. Yeah, um, true. His easy run might be like three twenties or something. <laughs> But I mean that that philosophy is great. I mean I think that that goes across the board, and that's why you know these are the sort of things I wanted to get you on to talk about because that goes you know not just triathlon. That's obviously for your endurance sport, but all sport really. You know, don't get sick, don't get injured, be consistent. I mean, it's it sounds. I think we overcomplicate things, like you said, with with all these with power meters and Garmin and all the rest of it. But like you bring it back to those things, you're going to get results. Um, and I suppose, is that something you, as your role now, as you, you, you're um, mentoring younger athletes, whether it's through Trivic or a lot of the athletes that, that talk to you, it's instilling those beliefs, you know, all those philosophies that just to, you know, take it day by day and do the, do the, do, put the head down and do these things? Yeah, I think so. You try and bring it back to basics. It's like, you know, the young guys, everyone's searching for sponsors and, and all this to be able to put logos, tell people, whatever, sort of ego-driven stuff. Um, but the one thing that gets them is results. And then the one thing that gets results is obviously just doing the basics correctly or the fundamentals correctly. Um, the other interesting one is, you know, I listen to Noakes, um, a science sport, actually, is a couple, you know, South African yeah. um, sports scientists. Um, a lot of people know him. Um, he actually did his PhD on RPE, so, you know, mm. perceived exertion. And up until this day, and you think of all the technology, all the advancements, still one of the best forms of judging how you are is RPE. You know, there's a scale of, you know, one, 1 to 20 or 1 to 10. Mm. You know, there's you sort of make the scale what you want, but as long as you use that same scale over and over, yeah. um, it's still the best form because it takes into account everything that your body is going through, whether it be, 
you know, daily stress at work, the amount of sleep you've had, um, you know, the amount of exercise you've had, like it takes everything into account where you look at your watch when you're running and, you know, a Garmin will tell you your pace. It's an outcome. It'll tell you your pace you are currently doing at that exact point in time. So it's just showing you one thing of how, one thing of what's occurring at that state in time. And you see people, you know, pick five minutes per K sort of thing. If, if someone's pushing to hold that five minutes per K, um, you know, they'll look down and they might see a 510. Like, oh, I've got to push harder, got to push harder. But that 510 actually hasn't taken into account that, you know, at the minute we're in COVID, um, they're homeschooling their two, two yeah. primary or secondary school kids. Um, they've had five work meetings. Um, they've got a report due at the end of the week and they've had four hours sleep a night. So actually the strain on the body at 5.10 is probably equivalent to running a 4.45, yeah. but they're still pushing to run the 5.10 because they think they have to run that outcome of a 5.10. Yeah, yeah, so it's come back to, you know, I think another one was Paula and Heather told me, and it was related to racing, but you could, I related to sort of every run or every training session is you ask yourself, how do I feel and what do I need? And if you're running along and you think, you know, I'm running along a five minute K pace, how do I feel? I actually feel pretty good. And you're like, all right, keep going. Where if you're running along at five, you know, five, 10 pace, and you're like, how do I feel? And you're like, oh, I feel pretty pretty crappy and like all right what do i need to be able to rectify this problem to get to where i need to be if it's an aerobic run and you're like well okay i haven't had much sleep um work's been a bit under the pump maybe i just need to dial it back a bit today to get to that level um, of exertion that i need to be so it's you change it's like how do i feel okay i don't feel great what do i need to do to rectify the problem you alter that, rectify the problem, then you're back in the training area that you need to be training at. Um, the pace is irrelevant. It's going to fluctuate from day to day. Yeah. It's going to fluctuate from course to course. Like if you run a hilly course opposed to a flat course, the pace is going to be different. You can't go chasing numbers that are affected by so many different things. Did you did you use those questions in a race? Like we're 30K into a, you know, <laughs> in the lava field. 100%. Yeah. And yeah. So I would ask myself that generally every 10 minutes and you're talking eight and a half hours of racing. Um, you know, the swim was a little bit different, mm. I guess, because you've you got arms and legs, you're getting belted over the head, um, all sorts going on. But <laughs> you generally, even in the swim, I'd bring it back to, okay, how am I positioned? Where am I sitting? Mm. Um, in, in terms of trying to get a, a free drag. Um, but once I was on the bike, Every 10 minutes, I would ask myself, how do I feel? What do I need? And then every K, every time I, you know, my K buzzer went off on the marathon mm. or generally every aid station, which they're about a, they're a mile apart. Okay. So as you run into an aid station, it's like, how do I feel? What do I need? How do I feel? What do I need? And it's like, okay, how do I feel? Um, I feel good. All right, let's keep ticking along, you know, keep ticking the boxes. And then, but you know, there's times where you'd be like, how do I feel? And you're like, oh, <laughs> And you'd be running along and you're like, oh, geez, the ocean looks blue today. You know, it's, <laughs> or there's a bit of cloud up the volcano. And like, yeah. no word of a lie, you start daydreaming. And yeah. then you'd be like, how do I feel? Oh, I'm daydreaming. Mm -hmm. Okay, my concentration's going. Um, that could be related to nutrition. Yeah. So then you do a, a back check of, 
when you last took in some nutrition and energy and be like, all right, I need to pick that up or I need to get it back on track. And then the same as how do I feel? What do I need at the K or the mile? It's like, oh, I don't feel great. Oh, I'm lacking energy um, or I've got a bit of a, a stomach cramp. Maybe I've over, over put too many carbs in. Um, so, all right, I need to dilute that a little bit. So I'm not touching anything other than, a, you know, 100 mils of water, 150 mils of water for the next two aid stations to help dilute my stomach and, and absorb the carbs that are in my stomach. And then again, you just keep the process. 10 minutes, how do I feel? What do I need? How do I feel? What do I need? And you try and get more green ticks than red crosses. And yeah. then hopefully that puts you at the finish line quicker than, you know, what you, you hoped. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, they're great. Um, yeah, that scanning of your body also, you know, like thinking, okay, where am I at? And that, those things that, you know, that when sometimes in a marathon, you just, um, yeah, you, you lose sight on those basic two things that you just touched on. And, and you start, like you said, drifting or looking at the scenery or thinking about other things. And that, I guess that just snaps you back into going, okay, these are the things I need to focus on. Hey, mate, yeah, what a, and I always, yeah, go I, just, I always ask, I always ask athletes, who, who knows you better than yourself? So you, everyone you know, has people out there, whether it be giving advice, friends, family, everyone is happy to give you two cents on how you feel. But there's only one person that can actually honestly tell you how you feel at any moment in time because that one person is the only person that can understand all these things that go into it and that's yourself. So mm. someone can tell you you feel great or someone can tell you you should feel crap. But the only person that really knows at any time is yourself. So I try and get people to trust yourself and learn to trust your feelings. And that's done through, you know, training over time and just being awareness. It's awareness of how you feel sort of in training or in space sort of thing. And again, I, I come back to that's why I like to train without music or stimulus because mm. you're more aware of these things. When you put something in your ears and you're listening, you know, you lose track of the sound of your breathing or your breathing rate or the steps on the ground or whether you're hitting the ground heavier because all these sights, sounds and smells, mm -hmm. again, go into that mixing bowl to tell you how you feel. You might go, oh, I'm breathing heavy. I'm hitting the ground a bit harder. All right, I'm starting to, yeah, I'm, I'm not feeling great at the minute. And you, slight, you might pick it up on that slight downhill slope before it jumps off a cliff sort of thing. And you can rectify things, but... If you aren't aware of how you're feeling at any time, you don't pick up on it. And then before you know it, you know, you're, you're buckled over with hammy and quad cramps and looking for aid stations with Coke and everything else, that sort of yeah. thing to, to help pick you up. Mm. Now, they're great insights. I mean, and um, a lot of a lot of Ks, a lot of races, experiences there, you know, to, to draw upon. I wanted to just pull you back to something you mentioned about sponsorships. And I guess you've lived... Uh, lived a life where you you were dealing you'd turn pro as a what would we say 22 23 year old i yes. guess and how it's evolved to now but back then i mean as a youngster getting signed and i've seen i've seen some over your journey and um you know photos on instagram back in the day you got a few sponsors across the board and you've you've kind of gone through a whole range of different i guess the way that the sport in triathlons particularly continue to evolve but can you talk us through how that sort of works in a sense um how you know i guess back to even when you were you signed your first shoe deal was that um because in running it's it is it's a lot harder to come by but it's a different kind of world that we live in and i think it's trying to catch up but we're still a fair way away 
Yeah, I guess it's a little bit harder, I guess, because the running world obviously is one sport. So you've got one market to sell into where we've got three markets to sell into as such. Um, but yeah, like early days here in Melbourne, um, you know, I used to get Nikes off the guys. Um, they were in Collingwood at the time then. Oh, yeah. um, uh, and then, you know, I, I progressed on to ASICs. I think ASICs were one of my first sort of paying or bonus sponsors as such. Uh, but that was shoe deal only, and not clothing. And then I went to the US and, you know, obviously a couple of good performances. I got a manager over there, uh, Murphy Ryan Schreiber. Um, Murphy actually now helps run LA Marathon um, okay. as, a, as his main job. Mm. Um, and, his, and his wife actually owns the Molokai to Oahu um, paddle race between the two islands of Hawaii, which is another event. Um, but they've always been in event space. But Murphy managed um, Paula, Mark Allen, sort of many of the greats in our sports. I think he's got sort of 20 Hawaii Ironman titles under his name. Mm. Um, and he was, you know, one of the two or three best managers in the world, definitely in the US. He was probably regarded as the best. Mm. He taught me early days is, is to know your value as an athlete. Um, and I was just lucky I had some good mentors and that growing up, I guess. But it's at, at any time, know what your worth is and never under undersell yourself. So obviously going there as a young athlete, you know, my worth is not very good. So it's unrealistic to ask for big deals. Um, or, but I do remember after a couple of good races, um, it was, we were trying to do a deal. I was still running in ASICs at the time. Um, we we're trying to do a deal with Pearl Azumi, actually, the clothing sponsor, and he brought back the deal. And I looked at it, I'm like, yeah, that's amazing. Like I went to the US with $5,000 that I'd saved up from working in a bike shop over summer. <laughs> and I was going to race until that ran out. And then I was going to get on a plane and come home. I just wanted the experience. Yeah. And, you know, he's presented me this deal. I was like, well, that's amazing. Like any money is amazing money. He's like, no, nah, we're going to refuse it. And I was like, you, you got to be kidding me. And I was like, he's like, young well, Luke wanting, yeah, just like, yeah. <laughs> there's a meal ticket and here. You're just sitting there thinking, you know, I'll, I'll take 50 bucks if someone gives it to me, especially <laughs> if it's in US dollars. Like, um, but he's like, no, no, do you, you know, you've got to trust me. And I took a step back and I was like, okay, this is the list of athletes he's managed. You know, who's, who's the dumbass here? You know, this young, naive little kid or the guy that's actually highly regarded in, you know, sports marketing. So I said, all right, you do what you got to do. And then you come back about two or three weeks later and we tripled the deal. Um, I was just like, you know, holy crap. And then from that moment on, it was, you know, yeah. letting Murphy do his thing um, and learning your value over time. And then obviously, you know, after a fifth and a seventh, the, the, my value as an athlete obviously went up. Um, so we got some, you know, got some great deals. We were able to make a good living out of the sport. But it's then also understanding the other side of things too, that, you know, if you have a, a year where you never got the results you wanted, um, or you got injured or, you know, for whatever reason, you just didn't have a great year and it might be your three-year contracts up for a renewal, you've got to understand that your value is not the same as what it was, you know, three years ago when you come fifth at Hawaii sort of thing. So it's, you know, a rearranging a deal, whether it be you make it more bonus, bonus structured because um, your base value has dropped. Um, so then you can try and, you know, grow it over time again. But... The reason I've had such long-term, I guess, sponsorships with different companies is, you know, you work together, there's a relationship there and it's not one-sided and you've got to understand that, you know, you're worth more to them when you're racing and winning winning well. And when you're not so much, they're willing to stick by you, but 
you know, your value as an athlete to them is a little bit less. Um, and rather than getting all bitchy and upset about it, understand that it's a business. Like everyone's in it for a business. Even mm. as an athlete, you're yeah. your own business. And how you present yourself as well is, is a big one I tell athletes is, you know, social media is a fantastic one to watch these days and watch the young guys come up. Mm. And some of the stuff, you know, that gets posters on there, posted, you're just like, wow, you know. And I always think whether it be, you know, you go, you, you can use sort of any different scenarios, but I always come back to a lot of the money in, is in the corporate scene. Um, industry sponsors are great, but the big dollars is, you know, in your corporate scenes. Like I had a mortgage bank mortgage bank for one for a few years sponsor me, um, you know, outside industry sponsors where the money's at. So you've got to think, what are they, they going to want? They, do they want someone that's scruffy and doesn't present well? Or do they want someone that fits their image of, you know, clean cut, presents, speaks very well? So you've got to, it's a 24-7 job making yeah. sure that you don't do anything stupid. And you see some of the stuff on social media. It's like, well, as soon as you post something on the internet nowadays, that's yeah. there for life and people yeah. can find it. Yeah. And they, and they will find it. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, you, you look at companies like Oakley, Nike and everything like that. Um, they employ people to, mm. you know, sit there and research and, and, and do stuff to, to find some dirt on the history of athletes before they signed them to see whether they fit their images. Sure. Um, so it's always making sure you present yourself, realising that every time you say, say something, you know, you might be at group training and that's fine and, you know, you're able to relax and, you know, take it here in Melbourne if... We're at the Holden Centre running around, you know, on midsummer, midsummer on a Tuesday or Thursday night, you know, it's chockers around there. Yeah. But just be aware that if you're joking around with your mates, that there may be someone in another group running by. And if you say someone to bag someone out, mm. bag out another product or just say something that's crude, that's going to travel very quickly. Yeah. So you're just very aware of your own brand at all time and it's hard to teach and it's hard to do because it, as i said it's a mm. it's a 24 7 job yeah i mean and, and and you're sort of touching on i guess the life of a pro i mean it's it's not as i don't think it's as glad i, I guess because i've been associated with you, you know likes of yourself and obviously craig and a bunch of others madeline now and and, and other athletes at top end but before that i would I, I would definitely have that misconception that yeah, it, it looks great on the outside, you know, you're in this glamorous lifestyle, but, you know, I, I think, you know, this this part of it where you're, you're constantly, you know, 24-7, like you say, you've got to keep your brand up, keep keep uh, sponsors happy. There's a lot of pressure when you race. It's not like you have a bad performance. It's like, you know, I have a bad performance, I go home and that's it, you know. You've got to face yeah. media. You've also got to respond, you know, it's, it's your job. So in terms of... You know, putting food on the table is is at stake as well, uh, and then I guess it's it looks like it could be also a lonely time because you know you you like you mentioned earlier about lots of flights and you know you're not just checking the hotels and hitting up the buffet. It's like <laughs> you get in there and you've you've got to you're there for a job, and I guess that's something you're probably working with with some of your athletes, and I, I think it's um yeah it's it's a really interesting life that we probably don't we probably underrate as people that are spectators or from the outside yeah it's like it definitely is lonely i think i nearly i threw nearly threw in the bag like when i was 26 years of age i was sitting in the states um i did a race in canada and then was coming back and i was actually 20 minutes from niagara falls and you know sort of never went to see them because my theory was like, I'm going to drive there. I'm going to get out of the car and I'm going to go. So, you know, they're pretty amazing. But 
I'm going to go home and try and tell people how amazing they were, but no one's really going to understand. And then you've got no one to share that moment with. Mm. And then I look back and yeah, that whole year, it's like you go from motel room to race site to motel room to race site. You win a race, you cross the finish line, you turn around, you're like, oh, I've got no one here to, you know, it's just me. Like there's, there's no one else. I'm out the back of Chicago. Um, no family, no friends, no coach, no whatever. You just did a race. You win it, awesome, but no one to share the experience with. Um, so it's, yeah, it's lonely. And you want, the mem- the best memories you have are generally the memories you can share with people. Um, and then, you know, the other side is too, you mentioned it's four walls, a hotel room to hotel room. Like you get some nice ones, you get some average ones, but yeah, you know, really it's four walls, a sink, a bed, a TV, you know, what's a hotel room? We went from one year even, you know, Hawaii was sponsored by a, a six-star resort there, um, the Manalani, for many years. Um, and that was amazing. They were amazing. And, you know, it was pretty plush. Yeah. But I was meant to go and do a race in Brazil and my visa never comes through in time. So we had to reschedule. And I had to, do, and I ended up doing a, a race in Houston, Texas, outside. But all the accommodation at two weeks out before the race is sold out. Um, so we ended up staying in a motel. It's like a motel six for forty dollars a night. Um, the room stunk of cigarette smoke, um, but it was the only option we had. So here I am going from a room that's worth one thousand two hundred dollars a night to forty five dollars a night, and you're sitting there going, you know, "This is this is the you know the joys and glamours." We're not. You're not you know going around the world staying in the Hyatt, and as you said, you know living off buffets and getting everything done. Yes, there's been some very good ones, but, you know, as I said, other times I'm two hours out the back of Chicago in, you know, a little town called Racine, which I wouldn't rush back to or in, you know, like <laughs> Texas or something, um, doing these events. And it's just, you're going there because it's a race and it's an event and it's your job sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, it is fascinating. I could, could go on for hours about this, but I won't. But uh, I'll, I'll keep... Um, I'll keep going. I just wanted to um, technology and in running now, it's becoming a bit more of a thing in, um, you know, the shoe, super shoes the last few years. And I think obviously, you know, with cycling and the carbon bikes and all that, you've, you've seen it, you've, you've seen it across in triathlon where people would go, you know, you'd see people racing and say, oh, maybe it's the bike or something like that. And you're starting to see that trend now with, people were running, doing performances, and go, oh, well, yeah, it's a good run, but they're in the super shoes. <laughs> What's your take on, on this change? Is it something that running needs to kind of reconcile with, that, you know, innovation's here and this is how we're sort of heading towards? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I was a bit of both ways early days, um, and it's like anyone else, ah, oh, it's not true performance. Mm. Um, let's go back. But... You know, the flip side of thing you realise, and I guess our sport was a, a pretty progressive sport as well. Um, you know, we're, we're willing to try technology and, and get it in there. But, but, you know, I think if you, you go back, um, what was the, the interesting one that I was looking at was the, the 1,000 metres on the track cycling. Um, you know, the, the kilo was always the, or the hour record, sorry, the one hour record on the track. And they tried to take technology out of it. So advancements in bikes, advancements in, you know, helmets, shoes, everything for aerodynamics. And they said, you must ride an old school bike to be able to have a go at the hour record. And the hour record was one of the biggest records followed, you know, in the 90s, early 2000s. And then it died. And it it purely became boring because it become like, 
records don't don't change, records don't get broken, so people lose interest. Um, the thing about technology is, you know, it's a part of the world. It's you know, you can call it somewhat of an evolution. Yeah. Um, you know, humans have evolved and gotten quicker over time. You know, you, you can argue that training techniques, um, nutrition. Um, you know, garments, these are all things that have aided in performance. Are they, you know, as visual as a super shoe? Mm. No, but have the knowledge and training effects over time increased performances as well? You could argue probably hell of a lot more than 4%, yeah. you know, in the past 20 or 30 years, just by knowledge. Mm. And so I, I come back to it, it's, it's evolution. Um, and people like advancements. People like seeing things progress. You know, you always say, it's it's a hard argument whether you whether you'd want a world record or whether you'd want Olympic gold medal. Um, I've always argued that you know Olympic gold medal would be with you forever. Yeah. World record records are made to be broken, mm. and if they don't get broken, people get bored and will lose interest. So by this evolution with the shoes progression and it shows innovation. Like there's so many positives towards it, and rather than get bitter about it, just sort of accept it for what it is, but realise that performances are getting better or performances are getting faster, which is more exciting. It brings more interest into your sport. Um, you know, think of the interest that the super shoes have brought into running. Like when has there been this much focus on running, run results? Um, yeah. It's increased participation from a grassroots level, you know, yeah. whether it be from park runs up, but you see people that, you know, probably shouldn't be running around in the super shoots, but they're, they're <laughs> yeah. buying them and they're chopping them out. So it's good for the industry. I think so, it's yeah. good to get people out the door to run and exercise and it creates interest and excitement. So I don't know. I see it as definitely more of a positive than a negative. Yeah. And I think it's what running, you know, running needs to keep evolving and catching up and doing new things. And I think, yeah, I think tri um, triathlon, I guess you guys had the, obviously the Ironman back and whatever that started, like late, late 70s, early 80s or so. Yeah, 79. Yep. And then you're talking, you know, super, what is it? Super League now you've got, like they're trying different yep. things and they're trying to do that in, in running to a degree. They tried Nitro, they're trying boutique meets and obviously with COVID now it's a little bit up in arms and how up in the air as to how they how the events go forward and, and no doubt in your your space as well um but yeah I think that's all part of it you know if we can get more people in make it more exciting package it up a bit differently you know in an events sort of way then um I think I think it's like you said if we can get more people out running or doing our sports then I think that's a win Overall. Yeah, and like you, you know, as you said, you look at was it the Steigen races that yeah. they ran over odd distances and the accumulation. You're like, it creates interest and excitement, yeah. and the athletes actually love doing it as well because you know they it creates a little less pressure for them because they might be stepping outside the diff, distance or comfort zone. So the limelight's not on them as much to perform because they might be running a 600 meter, and you know a 600 meter is irrelevant to anything, you know, but they get out there, they can race hard, they race as a part of a team, accumulate points and distances and finals. And yeah, it's that exciting stuff, I think, that it creates interest. I'm not saying get rid of the traditional, like, mm. you know, the Zatapex always going to be the Zatapex for us in Australia. You know, it's yeah. got history and mystique around it. But if we can do other things around it to increase the awareness of running as such, then, you know, it's, it's as I said, it's just better for everyone. It's better for 
you know, the industry, which the industry then pumps more money into running, pumps more money into athletes and events, um, which then, you know, with more money into athletes and events, then you, you talk TV rights coming to it then because it becomes more prestigious. And it's just that flow on effect of one thing helps another thing, which helps grow the overall big picture. And, and even in your, in your world, Kona is still going to be like, <laughs> you can do what you like in these other events and that's great, but then it always come back to what did you do at, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, the Kona, I'm guessing, uh, I'm not in that world, that trench world, I'm guessing that's still the, the benchmark to say, yeah, this is, this is what I did there and that's kind of yep. what, um, same as a marathon, you know, you can do all these mixed, different events, but they'll, they'll come back and say, well, what's your marathon time, you know, or what's, yeah, your, yeah, you know. 100%. Um, mm. It's like, for, for us, it's like, you know, how was your year? How'd you end up in Kona? Like, no, yeah. you could win six races all year, 10 races all year. <laughs> Yeah. But, yeah, it's like, where'd you end up in Kona? And, you know, <laughs> it's the same, you know. It's, um, you know, you, you do your talk running. It's like, these days, it's either... And, and the half, you know, the half in our sport is probably equivalent to the half, you know, in running as well. Yeah. So like people either, what's your 5K, your 10K? So for us, it's what's your Olympic distance time. Mm. Um, but what's your 5 or your 10K PB? And then what's your marathon PB? Mm. And everything else is, you know, irrelevant. Yeah. No, when did you hear the last person go, oh, you're a runner? What's your, what's your half marathon, people? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Hey, um, you've been really generous because I know you're probably meant to be back on the chalk doing uh, homeschooling. <laughs> probably should find I've got to make fairy bread tomorrow. <laughs> Into the, the old home ed uh, class, is it? Um, your, um, just quickly, your plans ahead, I guess, like we said, events are still up in the air. Like you, you want to have a crack at a, at a marathon. You're still, you know, a question, would you, would you actually still want to go back to Hawaii and do it as a, I don't know, how would you do it as a, a recreational, you know, as a fun activity? Because I couldn't imagine, you know, eight or nine hours of that doing it fun. Would, you know, would you, would you look at that again or it's kind of... Yeah, I reckon. Like I've joked with a few mates that, you know, when we're... We originally said 45. That's coming around a bit sooner than we like to, to anticipate. So maybe, you know, when we're 50, we sort of said we'd, we'd meet up, have a holiday there. and mm. um, Like, you know, I could, at the moment, it could come, like I could comfortably go around it, you know, whether I'm not, you're not trying to sound like an idiot, but I could comfortably go around in nine hours and somewhat enjoy it. Yeah. Um, as opposed to trying to go low eight hours. Um, you know, so it, go it'd over be like it. doing it. It's yeah. a tempo day all day, but yeah. I've never gone there from day one um, to actually just, you know, you can do the swim and actually look at fish and the turtles and, you know, take it in. You can do the ride and enjoy how blue the ocean is rather than thinking oh, you're losing concentration. Yeah. And the run, you can draw off the crowd um, and friends out there and, like, you actually could enjoy it. Soak where, it up, yeah. Yeah, yeah, soak it up. Walk, you know, walk the finish line and or walk the last mile. Like, because realistically, the last mile to two k, the, the crowd's like five to ten deep. So, yeah, well, you know, it's doing those things which I've never been able to do because you're too worried about being on the red line and, and getting to the finish line. Um, so, Even in those yeah. top ten, did you that last mile when you were in the top ten, knowing that you know, or, or is, you're still still trying to just push to get to the line because. You're in the zone. Yeah, well, <laughs> funnily enough, the, the year I come fifth, I think I had Jürgen Zach from Germany, um, one of the 
I guess, legends of our sport. He was about a minute or so behind me, a minute and a half, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, eight hours deep, you never know when you're going to cramp next. Mm. Um, and then the year I come seventh, I got out sprinted in the last 200 metres by Marino Van Honecker, who actually held the world record for the distance um, for many years. Um, so he beat me by 20 seconds. And then I had Cameron Brown behind me, 60 seconds or 61 seconds behind me. So, yeah, yeah the sort of... You're not relaxing. You're not, you're not <laughs> hanging around. Because as soon as you stop too, you're like, oh, is the hammy going to go? Is the car yeah. going to go? I may not make the finish line. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they're actually all pretty... They're all a lot closer than, than what you think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fascinating stuff, mate. I'm, I'm almost doing a bloody hammy thinking about it. <laughs> how hard that would be after eight hours. The one... Just... Yeah, yeah. The one, reg- the one regret, I guess, I never. It's not really a regret. I never really got to do, which I always hoped was we booked in. Lucy's sister lives in New York at the time, and Power Bar had arranged for me to run the New York Marathon. Mm. Um, which you know that was a bucket list. I was going to you know carry the camera around and just do yeah. it for fun. Mm. Um, but we were down in Miami, and that's when the hurricane hit New York. So oh, yeah. they got locked in. Um, we we got stuck in Miami, and then you know we were stuck there for a week and got on a plane and ended up scooting back to San Diego. But yeah, that, that was sort of the one time where I was really looking forward to doing one of the majors. Um, and I've joked about it with Timmy Clark too, obviously Georgie Clark's brother, um, mm. that, you know, would pick a marathon one, one year. I know he's done a few and he's trying tried to break 230. Um, I've got mm. a couple of mates in the tri world that have ran low 220s. Yeah. Um, I think personally, I think I'd be happy if I could do 229.59. Um, I think that, I think it's realistic. Um, You know, Andre Le Gersh, I'm friends with as well. Um, Mm. I still joke that he he hasn't broken 230. I think he ran like 230.20 or something. Um, But yeah, the thought of doing a marathon is quite appealing. Um, Mm. Yeah, not to come out and say, you know, you're going to run any spectacular. Um, I'm a pretty realistic person. But, you know, if I was going to do it, I'd like to have that goal of, you know, trying to get under 2.30. Um, but then it'd be cool to do, obviously, like everyone else, to go and do one of those, you know, majors as such. Yeah. Who knows, maybe uh, I could hit up Murphy in LA and go and do that one. Yeah. Well, let's, yeah. Well, we've got a bit of thinking time before we can actually uh, lock anything in. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, thanks again for uh, jumping on, mate. It's always good to chat and, and go down memory lane on a couple of things but also your insights like you know these are these are learnings that, that runners will really take away and, and, and be able to adapt uh, adopt into their, their training and racing so uh thanks again luke no no worries as i said like training principles are training principles it's just you know different sports but the same stuff applies yeah yeah that's been fun always good All right, mate. cheers take care cheers see you later see Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Better With Running podcast. If you'd like to follow Luke along on his socials, you can follow him at at Aussie Luke. He's always got some uh, pretty fun takes on the sport and some some pretty cool throwbacks. So, yeah, definitely check him out on on Instagram there. Um, But, yeah, definitely also stay tuned to us on the Run to BB socials as we bring you more interviews. Uh, We've got some listener questions that have come through. We're going to have a crack at some of them next week. Uh, there's a training talk segment which uh, Brady and Andy have recorded. We're going to cut that one up over the weekend. So 
So yeah, plenty to look forward to in terms of merchandise. Also, we've got our caps arriving this week. Apologies for the delay. There's um, it's taken a little bit longer to come out of uh, through the freight and logistics at this time of uh, what, with what we're going on at the moment. But yeah, um, apart from that, enjoy the rest of your run. Stay safe, and uh, thanks again for listening.